I've heard sermons where essentially people assume, yeah, 95% of the world is sort of toast. Welcome to the Soma Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Paul. Now that we've deconstructed our evangelical beliefs, we're trying to find a way forward to hold on to Christian faith and community in a post-Christian culture. In our first episode, we we kind of recalled a bit of our own sort of origin stories. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that both you and I both referenced how it was a question that came that kind of got things rolling. Uh, and that question, you know, for me was, is it, is it real? Like, is hell real? Right. Yeah, it's, it's kind of scary. Well, and I actually don't mind talking about hell. I, I wrote a 27-page paper on it, which I won't <laughs> uh, talk about in any depth tonight. But um, it, it's like one of those topics that you don't actually hear a lot. And I, I haven't heard a lot in the church when I was actively going to church. And, you know, that it's not the kind of topic that you get a lot of sermons on maybe one in, once in a while. It's because it's so horrifying. Who wants to talk about it? Yeah, well, but it is quite fascinating, too. Like, what interested me about the concept of hell was, yeah, is it real, like you said? Um, and I think... When I first became a Christian, I was very kind of pragmatic. I didn't know what to do about health, and I was trying to sort out so many other questions and why why my faith was, um, how it was going to work. So I, um, I kind of put hell to some degree on the back burner, but as I was going through my deconstruction process after I left the church, a question that was bothering me was the question of, you know, what happens to, you know, if the traditional view is true, um, and people need to be saved to avoid going to hell, then the majority of people, it seems, including most of my relatives and friends, are going to hell. And then that, you know, so I was really thinking that through, that that's a real issue. So either the theology or the idea about God needs to shift in some way, or I can no longer go along with that. It just, it didn't work for me. So there was a tension there. I kind of, took something that I learned from being a high school teacher and it made me see hell differently. And, and that was, um, so in a classroom, you know, there's always people who are going to fail and pass, right? Or people who are not going to make it. And we do a lot of smoke and mirrors um, in, in high school at times to kind of cajole and get people to keep moving forward. To, but at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is most people pass, right? Some don't, and there are people who need that lesson and don't don't make it. Um, but I felt like the church at times acts like a kind of a high school teacher who's just kind of using judgment and fear to try to corral people into seeing things a certain way. And I realized as a high school teacher, I've done that. I've had my classes okay. that, and I and I realize it's not a very effective That's way to teach a class. That's my daughter's grade ten math teacher. He was yeah. that. he scared the <laughs> That's hell. a lot of math. He scared teachers, the hell out of them. He said, "You guys, you guys are all probably going to fail, and uh, you have to do all of these things to pass this yeah. class. And this is the kind of time you have to put in it, and you, or else yeah. you're going to fail. And every time you issue a test, he's like, okay, most of you are going to fail when you do this test.' I'm like, what? What a loser. Like, why is he <laughs> discouraging my daughters? They would come home thinking, Dad, I got to quit. I got to drop this class because right. I'm not going to be able to do this. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, that's sort of, I mean, there's a lot of styles of teachers, but one of the things you'll often hear when you first learn to teach is, you know, come in hard and tough and kind of a little bit of fear and trembling. And, and people need that. And there, and there are people who need that. 
But um, for the most part, you draw that people be motivated to learn and grow than just be afraid that they're going to squeak by, you know. Um, there's a lot of issues in there. And I wonder what kind of strategies is God using uh, towards people? Is he mostly using the fear and trembling approach? Or has he got some other more creative uh, ways of moving us forward? Let's, let's just clarify what we mean by that sort of traditional view of hell. You know, what right. is that classical view of hell? Um, and the way I would have understood it, uh, the way I would have taught about it or spoken about it, was that hell was a place that you would go uh, after death, right? And, right? and for anyone who had died in their sins and had not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that's, that would be their destination. And in that place... You run out of time. Once you die, that's it. the clock is over, um, you're in hell, and now it's, did you, did you make the right decision or not? Correct. And there's no turning back at that point, right? Like, once you die, once you're in that place, you're locked in, and there's no more choice. And you are, you are destined to suffer for eternity, like forever and ever in perpetual torment. Yeah, there's even, there's people who have argued, you know, God, you, you get burnt up and then God just kind of recapitulates you so you can get burnt up again, you know. It's, oh my gosh. It's, it's fairly terrible. But I felt like if I questioned it, I'd be questioning the foundation of right. everything, like my right. whole faith, which is the Bible. It's part of the deal, right? Yeah, uh, so you, you kind of have to it. take it for, yeah, it, has, it comes along for the ride. And so you have to sort of accept that doctrine because you also want to accept everything else that comes with it. I read a book called The Other Side of the Good News, which is exactly what you're saying. Right? Really? It's like if you accept the good news, you also have to accept the other side. Yeah. question for me was, is there another way to read it? I think the average person probably gets more of their picture of hell from movies they've watched rather mm. than from the, anything the Bible says, right? Right. But like all learning involves, yeah, that prior understanding. So mm -hmm. if you, uh, ha it's called, you know, like a knowledge schema. So if you get your picture of hell from movies or from just, you know, and the, the, the general culture, and then you pick up the Bible and you read just, you know, one verse about hell, you're reading into it. Totally. your assumptions so you can't assume that you're getting a clear picture of it absolutely you know? and, and I, I think the same is true for people who have been to bible school because they're they're getting uh input from other people right and all the way back to augustine and all these different theologians that have written about hell they're writing from their perspective as well and they may have more understanding than the average person walking around who gets their ideas from horror movies mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that they haven't fully uh they've seen everything about it understood everything about it if if we're downloading the meaning of of like this place you go when you die and you suffer forever into the passage is that is that exactly what's happening is it already a preconceived filter that we're downloading and if i could get rid of that what would i find in those passages instead what how would i read that Right. So we're not. What we're not saying is we don't take the Bible seriously, or that we don't read read the text about hell. Right. We're just saying that we may have all inadvertently come with a certain schema, a certain view of hell, and we we can't help but read that into the passages. Right. There's Absolutely. always a history that we're 
borrowing and sometimes borrowing without realizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so from, you know, I, I, one of the things that helped me shift was the, the narrative uh, history approach, and which is basically saying this picture of hell, it has a reference in the Old Testament and then it shows up in the New Testament. And it is essentially, um, it's a historical place. It's a real place. It's, it's a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. That's what was shocking to me, honestly. I, I would have read a verse like, you know, um, do not call your brother a fool or have hatred or anger in your heart because you'd be in danger, in danger of the hellfire. And like I would have taught, thought, I would have uh, preached that as you know, the flamings, uh, the flaming fires of hell when you die. Uh, but when I started to look into it, I I learned that the word in the original language is Gehenna, which is the Greek form of the uh, the um, the Valley of Hinnon in in the Hebrew. Right. And it's an actual proper name, like it's a capital letter, like it's a proper noun. And yet, when I read all these translations of the Bible, they would translate it as hell. Now, often there'd be a little footnote, and they would say, "Here, you know, this is Gehenna." But like, why would why would the translators use the word hell instead of just Gehenna? You right. know, we read about Jerusalem, and they use Jerusalem, and there's a place called you know Nazareth, and it was Nazareth, and it's Galilee, it's Galilee. But then when it came to Gehenna. The translators used a different word. And the minute you see that word hell, like you say, you don't even have to have a biblical background, you would just download the meaning of yeah, that. Yeah, you just, you just insert it in there. Yeah, the yeah. afterlife, right? Yeah. And so when you look into that word, Gehenna, it is, and, and that place, like you referenced, this garbage dump out just outside the city of Jerusalem, it has a history. And it has, it has, it has a, um, a theme attached to it. Um, and it is a place back hundreds of years before Jesus ever even walked the planet. It was a place where the people of Israel had done evil, you know, in the sight of God. It talks about this in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 7 and 19. And it says that they, um, that parents had thrown their children into the fire to sacrifice their own children to the gods of Baal and Moloch. And when you read about this in the prophet Jeremiah, uh, he actually says that, that God says that I never commanded you to do this. And, and, and then it even says a stronger statement, and neither did it enter my heart that you would do this. Right. Right. Like, so it's like God who, who you'd think would have this, all the imagination, you know, and all this omnipotence. And he's saying like, this didn't even, this idea didn't even cross my mind. It never entered my heart. I couldn't even conceive of this type of a thing. Right, yeah, right. that's what we're saying that God is going to do to people after they die, essentially. Right. Throw them in the flames and, and uh, burn them up forever. Yeah, so the very, like, place, Gehenna, where we get, where we translate hell and we think that's the symbol of the father throwing his children into fire... Is, is exactly the place that God judged and condemned as a valley and said, because you've done this wicked thing, this valley will forever be this place of death and this place of, of, of destruction. And what, like, the irony of that is insane to me. I, I just remember just discovering that. And I'm like, why were we so bent? Why were we so hell-bent right. on making that about hell? And even the translators snuck that one in. So, so essentially, Jesus is doing what I would, would call the science fiction theology. He's basically painting a symbol 
in, in that, the, that individuals of his day would have understood. He's basically saying, if you don't embrace uh, the offer that, that I'm presenting to you the, in the gospel, you're going to end up in the garbage dump of history. And, um, or there's a risk that you'll end up in the garbage dump of history. So it's a, it's a picture of historical judgment um, that, um, that Jesus is, is warning them and saying, you know, essentially don't end up in the garbage dump of history. What we're saying is the possibility of hell is essentially horizontal. Mm-hmm. It, it's happening. It happens in our world now. People are still missing the opportunity to embrace the gospel are still missing the opportunity to embrace the good news. And there's still people who are ending up in some sense, mm-hmm. putting their lives in, in, in the garbage dump and they're missing out on what God has for them. I like that word horizontal, um, Mark, cause I think that's, that's maybe a new lens that I've begun to put on when I read the Bible. Now that I'm reading it, I haven't read, I didn't read it for a long time. But like the problem I have as a modern day person, like I have to admit, I have been influenced by the culture. Right. Like I have to admit that I um, reality is is the material world to me, and I I have a lot of struggle with metaphysical ideas or beliefs of supernatural things, and so if you um, if you approach the Bible and, and, and your view is that it's mainly vertical, right? Like right. salvation is about heaven. The kingdom of God is about heaven. It's always about somewhere else. It's always about up there or it's about way in the future. And it's not so much about now, right? Right. Uh, I think it, it just feels like I can't, I couldn't go there. And I'm, I still struggle to go there. But a horizontal view, like... It's about here. It's about now. And actually, when I read those verses about Gehenna, that's exactly what came, that's exactly what happened. Like Jesus is talking about now in right. here, this place. And even if you look, I know there's people probably that are, that are very familiar with the Bible, and there's a lot of other verses coming to mind. Yeah, and they're probably uh, and they're very powerful. Out our names right now. <laughs> yeah, there's the sheep and the goats, and and there's that whole story of you know, the nations coming before Christ and separating them and the goats go away into everlasting fire. And there are other, other verses about torment and everlasting fire. But, you know, when you have that lens of horizontal perspective, you, you, you find out that those verses make a lot of sense talking about now. Like if you think about it, nations that, that do not take care of the poor, who are who who marginalize people, who do not take care of the sick, um, they're in danger of this type of Gehenna-like destruction, right? Yeah, bringing destruction on your own people, uh, but also just you know, there's the verse that says you know, enter through the narrow gate for what you know, what is the gate that leads to destruction? And so we we would read a verse like that and say, I'm paraphrasing, would say, well. Basically, you have this opportunity to enter, find faith in Jesus, so that um, when you die, you end up uh, in heaven. And it's, it's that sort of idea of believe these impossible things so that when you die, you'll be okay. Um, but in another way, I was asking God, and I was, I was praying, and I was asking God, show me a different way to understand this verse. And just the, the idea that came to me was... Um, you know, enter through the narrow gate, it is Jesus. Jesus is presenting, he's presenting an opportunity to enter into his kingdom in the present sense, to begin following and being a disciple of who he is so that we don't 
end up wasting um, our life and wasting our opportunities to enter into what God is doing. There's absolutely an endless range of possibilities that people can wreck their lives. You know, we all know very common ones like drugs and alcohol and so mm -hmm. forth and many, many others. And it takes, it is difficult and it takes constant concentration and awareness and seeking to to tune into who Jesus is and find mm -hmm. what he has to offer for you in the here and now and the horizontal. Mm -hmm. I, d I don't, I didn't think growing up in the church and I never thought that like there was another way to read the Bible, right? Like there was a very, very systematic approach um, and, and, and you can't really stray from it, right? But then you find that even in the Bible, like there are different ways to read the Bible. Like, and Jesus is the prime example. Like he, he said stuff like, you heard it said this way, but I say right. this way, right? Like they're having a dialogue back and forth. Yeah. And it's just like he challenged ways of interpreting. He challenged the lenses that the, the religious leaders or the, law of, uh, the rulers of the law, you know, of, of his time, those who really knew the scriptures. He challenged the way they would read it. And it was very clear that there was, they had lenses too, right? Just, just we're talking about our own lenses, but this is as old as time. It's, it's, it's what it is to be human. We, we can only see what... We, yeah, we're, we're not going to see the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and I... And I think that maybe it's it's a good thing too, in, in that um, what we've gone through is we've learned to at least ask different questions and to process and to step back from you know this the the, the topic of hell is not something we discuss every day, but at the time it, it kind of opened up this idea of this horizontal you know approach to ask you know asking ourselves um, what does this look like now in our world now you know mm -hmm. um the nt Wright, the the theologian and i guess they call him bishop nt Wright, has the idea that heaven is not also it's it's heaven is not something that you get to after you die either he or he he's been kind of teaching and articulating in his books that heaven is something that is becoming present in the world and that's ultimately god's goal is heaven will be present in the world and there's the same tension, perhaps, with hell, like we experience hell now, or, or potentially can experience hell now. I know in, in my life, I've gone through a depression. I can honestly say that is hell. That's a form of hell. And, you know, and I know other people have gone through depression, and it, it, um, it's like day after day of um, just trying to push your way through a wall of just heaviness and darkness and, and having to deal with all the tasks of everyday life, that, that's a form of hell. And, and there's definitely worse expressions and experiences of it. But, mm -hmm. um, and I, I remember thinking as I was going through that, um, I was questioning, is, you know, is God good? Why does God allow me to go through something like this? And, um, and in a sense, because my view of hell is, has in some sense collapsed to my experience now. Um, I see it also as um, it's part of how God teaches us, you know. So when, when you go through difficult, difficult things like a depression, you, the old cliche, if you're going through hell and just keep going, you have a choice. You, you essentially um, 
you can start seeking God, you can start going in a certain direction, you can um, you can you can develop faith to help find your way out of the situation you're in and change behaviors. So those are all things that you have control over in the horizontal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gives a to me it gives you a way out or practice. It's not just something that's going to happen to you after you die. It's like if you're going through whatever difficult thing you're going through in your life, um, there's a way out of it and through it. And that's mm-hmm. the way God essentially has designed it. There's, there's a purpose to it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and by, by, you know, developing a connection with God and seeking God, He will give you uh, the tools and the insight that you need to navigate your way through that. Mm-hmm. So that's what hell did for me. <laughs> <laughs> hell made me question what I believed, the, the lens, and it made me go back to the Bible and go, man, is there another way to read this? Did it help you? Like, how has it helped you going, going forward? Other than shifting your thinking, what difference did you think it makes to your everyday life? Gee, I didn't expect you to ask, ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect me to ask that either. Um, I think it kind of just... It, it made me stop trying to, you know, make it all work, you know, make the theology all work, trying to defend God. Like, uh, it made, it just opened me to relaxing, holding my beliefs with really open hands um, and, and just asking the questions and just letting them take me wherever they want to go. So you um, became kind of more relaxed in... Um... If you didn't, if you didn't have an accurate picture of hell, then maybe there's other areas where you you might need to yeah. be more flexible. Like, like I, I was thinking about this. Like often when people read the Bible, I don't think they're looking to form their beliefs. I think most often they're just trying to prove what they already believe, right? I know I did it. I did it this way, and I, I actually think it's okay. I, it, it's what's not okay is that we're not honest about it, right? Like we're always going to have a lens through which we read the Bible. But we should be honest about it. We should know what that lens is. We should just be totally transparent. And we should also be willing to exchange that lens for a better one if we discover if it. If we right? can discover it. Yeah. And, um, and I think the doctrine of hell was just a good example of that happening in my life, right? So it was like I believed in a classical view and I tried to make – I downloaded that view into my reading. And we talked about right. perfect example with the word Gehenna. But my question was, what if I didn't want to believe in hell? Like, that's, that's sort of what, I turned it upside down. What if I didn't believe in an eternal place of suffering? Could I go back to read the same verses and read the Bible and find that it supports that? And in fact, does it even better, um, uh, is it even a better fit? So, like, I think that's what maybe the scientific method's really great about, right? Like, like traditionally or purely with the scientific method is you have a theory and you have a hypothesis and then you test it out and you just go where it where the truth lies like if and and if it debunks a long standing theory then you let it go and you go with the new best version you know and again but you, you hold that kind of loosely and you keep trying to to test those hypotheses right and you you keep trying to sort of exchange it for something better and, right. and I feel like that's kind of what happened for me. And that's what the process that the, that the question about hell did for me was 
Could I read these verses in a different way? And it actually even makes more sense now. And I think it did. I think the horizontal lens is a part of it. I think the other lens that, that to me was rectified was this thing that Jesus said when he said, like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of verses that talk about Jesus being, like, the representation of God, right. the embodiment of God. So, like, you look at Jesus' life and you see somebody who is committed to nonviolence, right? Like, he teaches, you know, if someone hits you on one cheek, you turn the cheek. When he was crucified and when they, when they, um, when they uh, you know, just tortured him, he did not respond or retaliate in violence. Um, he, he committed, uh, he taught love and he committed to that. And so to then go and look at, you know, the doctrine like hell or other ones where it's just like, how can you reconcile those ideas with this lens that Jesus is supposed to be the image of God? Like God should be as nice as Jesus, right? <laughs> and like Jesus throwing people into eternal suffering where they have never, they have no chance or reprieve to like change that outcome. It's, it's, it's inconsistent. It's yeah. inconsistent. Or, or it's like, well, some would argue, well, you just because you don't have God's perspective, basically, and you just I don't know. understand it. I know. I had but it's, it's not a very satisfying answer. No. Um, and so, I mean, part of it is we are looking to try to have a coherent um, understanding of God. And what we're saying is that, and this probably is a topic for another day, is that Je- Jesus is the lens, right? Yeah. Um, one extra point I would want to make, though, is, is I think it's the cultural shift that we're in where... Essentially, the church has lost its place in the culture. It's it's mm-hmm. um, it's leadership, it's hegemony, mm-hmm. and um, you know people are more influenced by pop culture and social media than they are anything that the church is putting out. Mm-hmm. And so, their concept of hell is probably very, very loosely at best coming from the Bible, you know, mm-hmm. to, to almost non-existent. It's largely coming from Dante, Dante's Inferno, and mm-hmm. it's coming from movies mm-hmm. and popularized versions of that. Um, and and so, but it gives an opportunity, right? Because when a culture is kind of passing away, the evangelical culture has lost its influence. It it loses its ability to, to speak, in mm-hmm. a sense. And so... But it also gives new opportunity for those that other voices to be able to see something different, something mm-hmm. new. And so what we're saying, I guess, is in our own deconstruction process, we've opened up to some different ways of looking and reading. Mm-hmm. We haven't thrown the Bible out, but no. we, what we've just said wasn't working anymore for us. It, right. There was a tension that needed to be reconciled. There, there probably are a lot of other people in this spot. I think there's probably a lot of people like like me and maybe you. I don't know if this is, this is putting words in your mouth, but um, I, you know, I, I'm looking for a reason to hold on to God. I'm looking for a way to hold on to God. Um, you know, it's like it's like kind of what Nietzsche uh, said would happen to our culture. I think it's happening. You know, he, Nietzsche, what is he? A hundred years ago, maybe he said. Right. God is dead and we killed him. Right. Uh, and what he meant by that was he saw sort of where society was going. Um, and, it, you know, if God's dead, Mark, um, why do I keep wanting to believe? 
there's something <laughs> inside of me that wants to hold on. And I, I'm, I'm reaching out for ways to hold on and still not, and to be intellectually honest and to still, uh, you know, still have faith. And I'm wondering if there's others out there that might be in a similar boat and maybe that's right. why we're doing this. I kind of feel like I'm, I've deconstructed my faith and I'm trying to reconstruct something and it feels like I'm kind of doing it here on the air with you. And it's yeah, we're, we're kind of meandering through this topic here in different ways. But um, I, I actually am very hopeful. I think the, the doctrine of hell, if you, the way that I've shifted in my understanding to see it as something that intersects with human reality every day. So yeah. it's not about believe these impossible things so that after you die, you don't, you don't go to hell. Right. It's, it's a picture of how God works in the world now. That there, you know, like I do paintings occasionally, and when you do a painting, you have a value system from light to dark. And mm -hmm. if your painting is all darks, you get a very dreary, drudgy painting. If your painting is all whites, you get this, you know, this sort of sentimental, too mm -hmm. bright. So, but a good painting needs to have a range of contrast, mm -hmm. you know, to, and it simulates reality more when it has a greater range of values and, mm -hmm. and, and colors and so forth. Interesting. And in a sense, I think that's what the doctrine of hell does is it, it's, it's a part of how the world operates, you know. There's a story being told and um, the story is about what's happening here, here and now largely. And if we understand that, we look for the connections and we can have big shifts in how we see God, how we see ourselves. Um, and I think that's good because it also means that we can grow spiritually and we can get further along in the story. You know, mm -hmm. we're not just waiting. The most important thing that happens to you is not after you die. It's, it's things that are happening now. Well... What's next? <laughs> well, if anyone's still listening after this, um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. If you have questions, questions about what we've talked about today or things you would like us to uh, unpack further, we'd love to hear from you.